And welcome back to the Beers and Pigskins podcast. This is the college football edition, and we are entering week nine. Yes, week nine of the college football season, and we are we are moving and grooving throughout this season. And we had quite the weekend uh, last weekend. We got you know a couple things we definitely want to get into. Um, First off, I, I know that you had mentioned that you wanted to talk about this, and I definitely think you should kind of provide some insight. You were actually in Vegas this weekend for for this college football weekend. Um, we'll put success uh, success aside. How was how was the game day experience in Las Vegas? Yeah, no, it was uh, it was something special. My uh, you know, was there for a bachelor party and our, our group decided to, per the bachelor, wanted to go over to the Circa Hotel and Casino, which has what's known as Stadium Swim. Uh, for those that have never heard of that, essentially it's, I think it's probably around, I don't know, maybe like the 30th floor or so. It's about halfway up the ho- the size of the entire hotel, but Basically, it's a giant open. You got to take this massive escalator to get up there, uh, which feels like you're going through Penn Station or something times two. But essentially, it's one giant, like probably larger than or around the same size as the screen at AT AT&T Stadium. uh, Width wise, you know, the one that goes along the like 50 yards, 60 yards or so. And essentially there's one massive screen in the middle, which is kind of the main game they'll have on and then scattered around the side. There's just every possible game going on at that time. Uh, so our plan was to go out there and you do have to pay a, like I think a $30 fee to get in for just like basic entry. You can rent out like cabanas and stuff there, which are very pricey. I think like a couple grand for the day or something. Um, yeah, which I think can somewhat come with food or maybe certain or almost like there's a, a minimum that they're expecting you to spend. It's like we're coming in with a group kind of deal. But it was one of the cooler experiences. Tons of pools, uh, chairs, a lounge. And they also have a sports book literally right out there outside with machines um, as well as like blackjack tables and stuff. So you don't have to go back and forth to the casino and whatnot. You can just do it right there. They also do have one of the nicer sports books inside as well, with also a massive wall size screen, um, bigger than some of the casinos down there. But being able to just like to veg in one spot, get drinks, food, watch the games. Um, we didn't get there till a little bit later in the morning, just because we had a late Friday night. Um, but we got there before the second round of kickoffs, which it did throw me off being in Vegas. Like everything was two hours earlier than I was normal, normally used to. Right. Yeah. So like I got up early Saturday morning because I just get up early every day. I was like, Oh, like Ohio state, Penn state's like about to kick off. And so I had to like sprint down. We stayed that night at Mandalay Bay, which is beautiful resort uh, and hotel. And so I had to like sprint downstairs to the sports book down there. And I was trying to get some bets in on the early games, which, you know, I'm not using them to usually having to, to rush that fast, but overall, I think, you know, it's definitely an experience to have, especially if you're, I mean, really all walks of life are there, but you know, if you're a younger 
male or female and you're really into to sports, I'm sure it would be a blast during like March Madness going for like a Saturday or something, like first, second round, where there's a lot of games going on. Like that would be a really cool experience as well. But but yeah, just wanted to, to share that tidbit and I, I recommend checking it out. There's tons of other places there on this trip too that you can go and spend the whole day watching games and it's just an experience, man. It's a vibe. I'm- seems it seems like a sensory overload. Um, it is. I, I, it does sound fun, um, and most likely, if never been to Vegas, but if I did make my way to there, I imagine that I would at least have to go there to see it. Just TVs and just stimulation just everywhere you look which i think is just how vegas works um but anyways um glad you had a good time um but moving on into kind of the kind of the talk of the week and i think this episode will be a little bit different just based on the fact that um next week we don't have kind of the slate of games that we had this week we do have utah oregon and we might you know jump into that a little bit um at the very end but there's also a lot of things that were going on um and things that we want to just cover and talk about and and touch on um from this past weekend um and first you know just so that we can get it out of the way and it pains me as as a Michigan fan, um, it looks like you know they NCAA is looking into um, investigating into sign stealing, and you know uh, looks like um, having analysts or interns. I'm not entirely sure there. It looks like this year he's actually on the staff. Um, you know what what do they call it? Like advanced scouting. Uh, forward scouting whatever they want to call it um which from what i understand you can scout but you can't you know videotape um which i'm not entirely sure how because i know that they can watch tape you know the week of and you know and get ready and they can see all the signs from what i understand in the all 22 um you know what they look at um so yeah, I, I'm sure the the investigation will be thorough. They're gonna find what they need to find, um, but it definitely doesn't look like it's done and over yet, and it's concluded. Um, so there's not a whole lot to talk about at this point. Um, but down the road, we'll probably touch on it um, once we get there. My Twitter's just filled with that, and it's it's I've been trying to stay off of Twitter. Cause you know, it, it sucks, you know, I, you know, the things of that nature, you don't want your, you don't want to see your team, you know, be going, going through that and whatnot. But uh, yeah, just, just wanted to touch on that at the very top of the episode. Yeah. I think uh, the, I guess the positive in it is typically when it comes to NCAA violations, there usually nothing is ever going to be immediate. Everything is always delayed, especially when it comes to like punishment or sentencing, if you will. So at least I would feel fairly pretty confident that Michigan season to season is going to continue as normal and nothing's going to happen. There might be some kind of, you know, depending on what they find, say a bowl game or something uh, or bowl suspension in the future, uh, which 
I'm familiar with with LSU. It's happened in you know the past with different things or less mild having wins stripped away after years later. So stuff happens, unfortunately. But like I said, I think you know hopefully it's not too distracting for them as they move forward. You know the the tough part of their schedule here at the end of the year toward the playoff. But I feel you. Yeah. You never want your team to be in the negative limelight. No, and you know, just everything's on Twitter now, and everything just like everything is is turned up to eleven um, in in the, in, the, in the Twitter world. Um, but getting into more of the actual news of of actual football, um, I, I was I was talking with you a little bit about this um, before we got on here, but we had some we had some interesting calls. Um, just I I think you know. You know, last week I gave you about two minutes um, to vent about the Saints. I'm not necessarily going to vent, but it's going to be more of a... I would love for... And I know it's a hard hard job being a ref. You you can't see everything, but hopefully you you see most things and, you know, you make the right calls. Um, But more just in a review aspect... It just seems like it changes all the time what we can review, what we can do during reviews. Um, and whether or not you think it's an invalid fair catch signal that Iowa you know, displayed or whatnot, I wasn't aware that that's something that can be reviewed if it's not called on the field, mm-hmm. as well as they announced that they were reviewing to see if the runner stepped out of bounds. bounds. That was what the review was for. And they, you know, we reviewed, saw that he did not step out of bounds, was in bounds the full time. Um, But then, you know, they called the signal that, you know, is an invalid fair catch, which I don't even necessarily agree with that. Um, But, you know, whatever, that's the call. I think the thing that bothered me the most was that, we're reviewing something that we weren't even reviewing for. And then I didn't even know that was something that we could review for in the first place. Um, and then just, just briefly going to touch on the Houston game, Houston play Texas for all those people that watch that game at the very end, uh, Houston had a third and one. It looked like they clearly got that. They clearly got the first down. Uh, the mark was short, whatever bad spots happen. Um, but they didn't even take the time to review it. I know that Dana Holgerson was asking for them to review it. Um, it seemed like a pretty reviewable call. Um, you know, they, they did so later in that day for USC when they were playing Utah at the end, they reviewed the play, make, made sure that Utah got that first down. Um, didn't even look at it. Houston ended up not getting it on fourth and one, but it's just these huge things that, you know, there's no consistency, you know, it it seems like things that are no brainer. We should be reviewing. We're not. And things that, you know, it's like, why, why are we able to make those calls on, on reviewing? I don't really understand. Maybe I'm just not aware. And, you know, I'm just an idiot talking up here, you know, for a couple minutes ranting about you know the review rules and guidelines and whatnot um but it was just you know it's very fresh and prevalent because i saw two teams you know really get affected by it um and the outcome of games you know really kind of turn on a dime 
uh, because of how we review uh, football. Yeah, no, I I will say it seems like there has been a lot of inconsistencies this season with um, officiating, not even just at the college level, but I think both pro and college has been a lot of kind of gaffes, if you will. Um, I, and I can understand certain things. It just the problem I have with it, it, it needs to be uniform across the board um, with certain things like this, especially when, like you mentioned, you're reviewing you ended up coming back with uh, a completely different anecdote to what you were originally reviewing as far as the, the Iowa kick with the stepping out of bounds and then you're calling it a fair catch. Uh, I can understand why they called it as far as like when I watched the replay. Um, it, it's very close because um, I kind of have to put, you play the devil's advocate. Okay, what if it's the other direction where like he very clearly, you know, made, a wave thing right but then it's not looked at he scored a touchdown and the touchdown stands and so i get having to take it off um i think the issue with the way he did it it was when he was pointing with his right hand and then started running he didn't do like a full over the head like whirlwind circle but did like these little half circles with his other hand which kind of look which when you're usually fair catching you're doing one of two things you're going like this or you're doing the full circle like above your head almost like a swoop yeah and so i, I assume that's what they took out of it was the kind of swooping motion was him technically calling for a fair catch um i'm one of the people that thinks if the ball like i think the rule should be changed to where say for it to be a valid fair catch i feel like it it can't hit the ground has to be caught in the air yeah yeah i feel like because here's the thing if it was a fair catch like say he called a fair catch the ball bounces and it hits the returner that's a live ball mm -hmm. yeah right yeah and so the fact that the ball bounced he then picked it up, even if he waved for it, he should be able to return it. In my mind, I think that would be a better rule because, but you're signaling, hey, I don't want to get hit. Uh, so I'm going to just take the, you know, safe play. But if it bounces, hey, I'm willing to now take a hit if B, um, even though I waved it up originally, I just didn't want to get blasted from the get go. So I think it should be played as a live ball, regardless if he waved or not, since it bounced. But, that's a whole nother issue. Nonetheless, I think the theme here is we need better officiating overall across. The yeah, country. I just, you know, they would never review, hey, did the runner, we're reviewing if the runner got across the goal line. They did, but we saw that one of the offensive linemen was holding on the play. So we're going to call it back. Like they, that's just not, it's not going to happen. And so I don't know why it can be applied there. Um, and they're going to, you know, oh, it's a penalty. He was holding, so the touchdown doesn't actually count. Um, yeah. Yeah, we're going to call it back. Um, so, you know, just one of those things. Um, you know, shout out to Iowa and Houston. You know, you kind of made Twitter, you know, kind of crazy and whatnot. Um, is what it is. Iowa, 
I'm going to turn it right around, try to get more yards than two in a whole half, then, you know, maybe it won't end on a punt return. But um, anyways, that's just me throwing shade at Iowa for no particular reason. Um, Yeah, that's just something I wanted to throw in there. Um, But getting into the games, the most important part. Um, We'll start with the game of the week, uh, OSU and Penn State. Um, and if you don't mind, I'll go, I'll go first on this one and just kind of, just kind of go about it. Cause I, I watched a good amount of it. Um, I did text you one time during the game and I, I think that theory just kind of held up throughout the rest of the game is Ohio state had Marvin Harrison jr. Mm-hmm. That, that was, I feel like the most prevalent theme to the game he was able to go out there and make plays when they really needed it. He helped out his quarterback, the Penn State wide receivers, and honestly, the play calling a little bit. I'll throw that in there. Did not help out their quarterback. Drew Aller may not be quite the quarterback that we thought he was at the beginning of the year, but I also, I'm not going to go in here and say that, oh, he's, he's, just a average to below average quarterback. I do think that Drew Aller is a good quarterback. He ran into a good, a very, very good defense, um, especially their defensive line. They had a very, very good day. Um, And they, Penn State also didn't use their best weapons on offense, which is their two uh, sophomore running backs in Catron Allen and Nick Singleton. And when I looked at the stats in, I think, the third quarter, they were still effectively running the football. I think Singleton was averaging five and a half yards a carry or something like that. And, you know, you see him get into the situations. I just remember one where they were, it was third and one, and they're throwing the ball when your two best players are in your backfield and you're averaging far more than one yard a carry. Yes, I know third and one, and you know, it's you know, you're probably not going to go out there and bang out six yards, but you should believe in your offensive line. They have a talented offensive line. They have a they have a group of talented running backs. Go out there and get your drive extended, especially when your quarterback is not having his greatest day. And OSU, the last thing I'll say is they did what they needed to do. They got Marvin Harrison the ball, especially with Abuka out. They got him the ball early. They got him the ball often. He made his plays. He was getting open. Um, and I think I told you at the when we spoke about it before the game, they really need to try to limit what he can do. They're not going to stop him. You're just you're just not going to stop him. He's too good. But if you can limit the amount of yards that he can get, that's how you win that game. And um, I'm sure that's what they were trying to do, but he went for 11 for 162 and a touchdown. So um, that kind of went out the window. When it's all said and done, it was 12 to 20. uh, Sorry, 12 to 20. Wow, that's terrible. 20 (laughs) to 12 uh, with a late, you know, kind of garbage time touchdown. Um, and so Ohio state went out there, they took care of business. 
was their offense super dynamic? No, but they made plays when they needed to, and their defense kind of showed out and you know definitely cemented themselves as one of the top defenses in the country. Very astute observations. No, I, I agree with all that. And I think that was kind of the big thing that I mentioned last week was I think this is the game, or at least the competition, where Marvin Harrison Jr. is the difference maker and is the the kind of the key and shows why he's as good as he is. Um, and it was good to see him show out because uh, he's just – he's a freak. He's a physical menace. But, yeah, I think it just goes to show that both of these defenses are really solid um, overall. and going into Columbus and beating a team like that on the road is just really tough. Um, I, I kind of agree. I don't think it's that Drew Aller is a bad quarterback. It's just it's a very tough situation to be in. Uh, you're on the road in Columbus. It's loud. It's a morning game. You're facing a top five team in the country, top five defense in the country. Uh, there's not, not a lot going your way, especially when you're – I think I kind of talked about this. It, it comes back to, you know, coaching, right? And it's, it seems like Franklin gets in these games. I think and he's now what one in 10 against Ohio state or something like that. And it's, uh, I don't know. It does not build for the moment. You're clearly, I don't know if it's, you're getting overwhelmed. You're not good at making adjustments. Um, we're not recognizing certain things, but it just seems unfortunately time and time again, that Ohio state, whether it's Ryan day or, Meyer, whoever heck, you know, whoever else is the coach, they kind of got their number. Um, yeah, and the last thing I'll, I'll point to is, you know, when you're having those big games and, you're, you know, your defense, don't get me wrong, they only let up 20 points. And, you yeah. know, Ohio State historically is going to put up a ton of points on you. And they held them to 20, which is which is still a very good day. They could have been helped out even more if they had some more time on the bench, had some more time to recover and, you know, catch a breath. Uh, Penn State went one for 16 on third down. Yeah, they were one of 16. And their quarterback threw the ball 42 times, only completed it 18 times. Um, And... uh, how many times did they run the ball? Just kind of looking this up, you know, when he's kind of off the call. Yeah, twenty six. And I mean, for for your group, I would say that their group that's better is their, you know, running offense. Um, it just doesn't make a ton of sense to me for the difference to be, you know, that big in between, you know, how many times you want to run the ball, how many times you want to throw the ball. They were not very balanced. Um, Like I said, you know, made some questionable calls. I think Drew Aller could have been helped out a little bit more uh, by his offensive coordinator um, and, you know, kind of have that pressure taken off of him. Because, you know, we said it's kind of – it comes down to the quarterbacks. You know, they're both first years. Who's going to handle it a little bit better? And it's gonna it's gonna be a big environment, and I think if he could have been helped out a little bit more, um, you know, the day uh, the game could have gone a little bit of a different way. I'm not saying that they're gonna win, but maybe their offense starts to look a little bit better and more effective and whatnot. But nonetheless, a very good game. You know, I think 
like Joel Klatt said, it was a slugfest, you know, not super high scoring, but, you know, it's fun to see, you know, defenses go out there and dominate every once in a while. Um, but moving on to Alabama and Tennessee, which is Alabama is just such a weird team this year because they can't seem to play two halves of football at a time. They only play one half of football during the game, and hopefully that's good enough for them to win. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it because it looked like an unranked team in the first half and then, you know, a top five team in the country in the second half. So uh, I just, I don't understand. Shed some light on that, please. Uh, uh, no. Um, so I think, yeah, you know, the, it's been the, the story all year long is Bama can't put two halves together. The offense has got issues. Milrow, the guy, not the guy. Uh, the run game, they really don't have, uh, you know, year in, year out, you have, oh, it's Judy. Oh, it's Smith. Oh, it's ridley it's there's somebody that's just you know heads head and shoulders above everybody else right and jermaine burton yeah you got jermaine burton isaiah bond you got these guys that like sure they probably could be studs at most other programs but they're just not living up to the normal bama billing um but one thing that stayed true for the most part this year is bama's defense has been good um, across the board, that front line, uh, front seven, has been really good, and they finally decided to to show up. the The secondary has had its struggles, which was kind of seen by the first half. Tennessee was kind of able to make their way down the field without any promise, uh, hit for some big plays. Um, but once that defensive front started getting after Joe uh, Milton a little bit more. And that pocket started collapsing. The time started getting cut down. Um, those kind of broken plays weren't really able to be made as much. And they just completely shut them out in the second half, which was <laughs> a great game to watch in Vegas as everyone was pulling for Tennessee. Cause that's, that's the one universal thing is if you're not a Bama fan, everybody hates Bama. It's kind of like the Cowboys. If you're not a Cowboys fan, everybody hates the Cowboys. Um, and so everyone was pulling for Tennessee and I think they were a nine point dog. And so, like, if you took the line, like, oh, man, you're, you know, first half, it was, what, 20 to 7? So you're 23 points in the clear. And uh, what in the world happens? Uh, you just get completely blanked in the second half, and you let Bama um, – well, that – was it a fumble touchdown or pick six touchdown? Yeah, uh, it, was, it was a fumble touchdown. They had the ball uh, with, you know, seven minutes left, basically, down 27-20. You haven't yeah. been able to do anything all day. Uh, not all day, but in the second half. And this is your chance to go down, tie it up, you know, bring some fresh air into the stadium. And, uh, yeah, the fumble returned for a touchdown. And then nothing else happened after that. Yeah. And so that's just the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. And it seems like for Alabama, it happens more often than not. But like I said, they do have, and I'm, uh, I saw this number and I just wanted to confirm with myself, but they do have the number 15th overall ranked defense as far as total defense goes. So, I mean, they're good. It's just a matter of, can they piece the few things here and there and string together some drives on offense with Milrow? I'm still not convinced. Um, 
obviously the next big game for them is they're you know they're off this week as well as LSU because they're building up for that matchup. I I don't know if that defense can stop this offense, and then you know obviously having to continue to put up the points going the other way, that game could end up being a shootout or something. But I, I think it's going to be a real tester to see how good that defense actually is. Um, uh, you look at some of Alabama's previous matchups and, or, you know, the way some of those games have finished, like looking back on the Texas game, it's like, okay, well, Texas just kind of struggled. I mean, they, they got up early against Houston, but again, they weren't able to put together a full game for the most part. It's all right. Well, maybe they sh- shouldn't, I don't know. It's just hard to piece what Alabama truly is. Um, I think they're building momentum. So I think obviously coming off a of bye week, you know, LSU will probably get their best. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I was hoping Tennessee could pull it off and give Georgia a run for their money. Uh, but that pretty much seals Georgia's fate for the SEC East. And yeah, it's just the same old story. Alabama wins another one. Yeah, you seem... Uh... Seem real happy about that. Uh, I'm not. Uh, it, it is what it is. Kind Do you of think deal. this was going to be the year that Alabama wasn't going to be Alabama? What well, they're they're still not Alabama, but no, I I'm fairly confident that they're going to lose next week. But uh, I'm not surprised. Is is what I'll put it at. Like, I don't think people should be shocked that Bama shut out Tennessee in the second half. Like, they're still coached by Nick Saban. They're still a really good defense. Like they're capable of doing it. It's just they're not doing it as often as you might typically be used to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's just if you're Tennessee, I don't know how you get outscored 27 to nothing in the second yeah. half after after winning the first half 20 to 7. Um yeah, it has, it's got a sting. Yeah, if you're Josh Heupel, you're like what you're you're going home you're like okay what in the world did i do wrong what do i need to fix here as far as you know you, there's really no excuses to be shut out of a half especially in a game where you're uh, i don't want to say dominating but all the momentum because they scored right before half yeah. like it looks like okay it's going to be 14 to 7 and then boom they got that quick score at the very end and snuck it in uh, drove down the field uh scored basically with either it was a time expiring touchdown or just about yeah 12 uh, seconds left yeah and so it's like okay wow you just scooped up all the momentum and you're like bama we're here and then you just here you go bama you can have it back something yeah. happened in the next 20 minutes in the locker room I, i'm not sure what nick saban did but I, I you know maybe vegas called him we're like guys look we got way too much money on y'all we're gonna need y'all something to throw, to throw something this happened. back the other way um, but yeah, Bama, uh, Bama, Bama in the second half. Um, and the last game that we wanted to touch on just real briefly was, uh, Utah USC. Um, USC continues their struggles against Utah, uh, Utah putting out their, who at least at the start of the season was their third string quarterback in Bryson Barnes. Uh, gotta love the kid. You know, finished the day with his white jersey pretty much being white, brown, and green. 
he got you know definitely got hit around but it was definitely a gritty finish had that great i don't know what was like a 20 25 yard run um at the very end of the game to a get that first down put him in a a very easy well a lot easier uh field goal position um and I don't know why USC has such a struggle against Utah. It might be just one of those things where Utah's just built to kind of beat them and take care of business. That that team lasts longer. They just if you take them to the very end, they're just going to find a way to beat you. I don't know what it is. Um, I'm sure Lincoln Riley sees Kyle Whittingham in his nightmares at night. Um, I yeah, I don't know what it is. They've they've struggled the last two seasons with them. Um, and now it was thrown out there on Twitter that Caleb Williams should, you know, take off the rest of the season and get ready for the NFL. Which is, I I don't think at all that that's that's the answer to that. I. I understand. I even though I don't love it, I can understand sitting out of bowl games and things of that nature when it's a you know who cares bowl. You know you're not really going to win anything, but I really hope he doesn't quit on his team in the middle of the season. I, I really hope he doesn't. Yeah, I I don't think he will. Um, no, I don't think so either. I just you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that we kind of mentioned it the previous episode when they, you know, dropped that first game, um, maybe it was two weeks ago, whenever they lost to Notre Dame or whatever, um, that, that probably just based on the way the other Heisman candidates were trending, that that's probably going to knock him out of the race. I would argue again, I still think a two lost team or quarterback is plausible, but I would argue, uh, not argue, but I think it's probably a, a lock that Caleb Williams will not be winning the Heisman. And I see you got a smirk on your face, and I don't know if you're going to mention what I think you're going to mention. But before you do, uh, I'll just say oh, this. No, it's not It's not what you think it is. Okay. I, I, I think it's – I love that you will protect your LSU of Tigers course. till the very end in saying, you know – a two loss team could could still make the <laughs> well the thing is in in the two games he ha- in the losses he hasn't put up the numbers right no he has whereas or as daniels still has um that that's kind of my biggest thing um, oh, are you talking about a, a heisman for daniels or were you referencing yeah, he, yeah. getting in the playoffs no i was referencing heisman oh okay i mi- i misread what that was sorry oh okay Continue. no you're good um no as far as utah goes which is funny talking about it eight, nine weeks later, whatever it is now at this point. If for some reason uh, Cam Rising plays for this team this season, uh, just, he, he, he j- will not. Just fire the coaching staff and all together because they, you've they waited. Said, they they did, said he's out for the he's, rest okay. of the season. He's, okay. He's Good. I mean, uh, I don't know what this is going to do for him long term. Uh, what that's gonna, especially now that this Bryson kid has just beat USC. Uh, I mean, they're still six and one. So, I mean, they still got a shot at you know going to the conference championship, depending, uh, depending on how these last few games go. But, but yeah, it's just I find it hilarious how we were just hyping up Cam Rising as possible Heisman candidate preseason, and 
lo and behold, Bryson Barnes is the one to take down the Trojans this year. No, and you know it's scary to kind of even think of how good Utah might be if they did have Cam Rising. You know, nothing against uh, Bryson Barnes, but yeah, um, you know, there's a reason that he was, you know, it was such a big blow to them to not have him at the start of the season. Um, but yeah, I. I would love to see what's kind of going on in the USC locker room. Not that they have any problems, just like, you know, talking about why can't we get past this team? Well, it's funny that, like, I think they're 0-3 now against Utah since the start of last season. Well, uh, so we're eight games into the season for them. And week in, week out, they've had a problem on defense. And we've talked about, oh boy, what's his face? Can't think of the name right now. Defensive um, coordinator? Yes. Alex Grinch. N- needs to go. Needs to go. That's what right? I said a couple weeks ago. And, and that's why I respected what happened this week, even though it made me lose some money. But Arkansas has put up the most abysmal offense I've ever seen in my life. They're just so bad, worse than like... Uh, Navy running, you know, four-man running offense, crazy, just wildcat nonsense. They literally can't make a first down with K.J. Jefferson, who's a fantastic quarterback. The team is just awful. And they finally, my Arkansas friends were very happy, fired their offensive coordinator, Enos, or however you pronounce it. Um, Frankly, I'm waiting for the Sam Pittman call. Boy needs to go as well. It's just awful what they got going on there and i think usc needs to take a little a little note there and read the room like look we got some issues on defense we need to make a change we kind of talked about that weeks ago hey you know you've let uh, i'm looking out of here you let up 32 you let up 48 you let up 41 41 half of those are teams that have losing records uh you let up 28 to arizona state who somehow we're not going to get into that game very much but Washington, what you doing? Coming off a huge win, what you doing? Yeah. Fifteen to seven, you can't be doing that now. That that hurts. Uh, which I will say, I did like the fact that my Twitter, what I was seeing, um, was it was shutting down all the nonsense that people were talking about. How this twenty twenty three Washington Husky offense was as good as the uh, LSU twenty nineteen team, and that that shut them up real quick. I was like, I, I don't remember them only you know losing or winning by a touchdown against a one in five team, um, but or being held to fifteen points. Uh, maybe it was just uh, Penix threw like three picks or something. It was it was not great. Yeah, the the week we literally last week we said Michael Penix is now the guy. He is the front runner. It's gonna be Michael Penix for the Heisman. He's been he's been playing like that guy. And then the next week against Arizona State throws two interceptions. Yeah. They put up 15 points, seven of which were uh from a pick six. Um yeah, it, it wasn't wasn't a great look. Uh, but it is what it is. Even more reasonable, even though the man I'm not going to talk about is currently the front runner, but even more reason that Jay Daniels should be the Heisman. JJ McCarthy. Uh, that actually really surprised me when I saw it. I'm not. Uh, I think they've had 
since I've commented about them not doing enough, they've strung together what four wins in a row that have been really solid, like team wins, being efficient on both sides of the ball. And I think just kind of the narrative of the undefeated and not making any mistakes. The numbers are good. They're not blowing me out of the water. They're good across the board. Um, but I think that's the thing is also carrying that undefeated record. Um, the, especially back-to-back years of being a playoff team. The only thing I'll say is, you know, maybe the numbers aren't inflated um, like they should be, you know, or as you would expect for a Heisman candidate. Um, they've played eight games, and he has sat out two and a quarter games worth of football this year. He hasn't played in the fourth quarter yet. Yeah, and he'll he'll go out in the middle of the third quarter, just you know, because they they don't, they don't need him. Oh yeah, I mean, the level of competition is a little yeah, a little a little soft. And the uh, same no, thing with Jade Daniels only played the first half this week. I mean, yeah. it's the same thing. You're playing weak competition and you're blowing people out, and then why keep your yeah? Why would he be in there? starting quarterback in to potentially get hurt when you don't need to when you can get Value, valuable reps out of a backup and kind of getting that a game time experience. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's going to be. I now that Vegas has him as the front runner, if Michigan wins out to like, because I don't know how much of the time, like how heavy the like conference championship games are weighted when it comes to like Heisman voting. Because uh, obviously bowl games don't take an impact on Heisman voting because it's all done before, um, or at least I, I'm not sure what the final cutoff is for people to have their votes in, but like the ceremonies before the playoff and whatnot. Um, but with that said, let's say the championship game's not taken into account. If they go 12 and 0 and make it to the conference championship, and JJ has a really good game against Ohio State and Penn State, then I think he's he's gonna lock it up even if Daniels goes undefeated and puts up continues to put up the same kind of numbers he's doing it at yeah um I will say that even though he just had a very un on him performance I would I would put most of my faith in Michael Penix still just because he's still in that offense there's still an undefeated team um and it's just because McCarthy is yes, like against Michigan State, put up four touchdowns, um, went twenty-one of twenty-seven for two hundred something yards, um, and so he's having really good games. It's just they don't put a ton of emphasis on you know putting up numbers like that. They don't put a ton of emphasis on um, throwing the ball for a ton of yards. Um, so just because of that, I I would still, at least for me personally, Penix is still the front runner. Mm-hmm. Um, he can't have more bad games like he just had. Um, but you know, McCarthy had a had a three interception game, and now he is the front runner. So you know, I don't really understand how all of that works and and how all the odds kind of play out and what kind of goes into that kind of confuses me a little bit. But. Um, that's all I'll say is I st- I'm still running with Michael Penix. Yeah, I'll say this as far as when it comes to stats. Um, so ESPN has their own rating 
system. Like, you know, the NFL's got max QB ratings, 153. So only two QBs have ever finished with above a 200 rating for the season. Joe Burrow and Mac Jones, both of whom have won the Heisman. As of right now, Jaden Daniels is the only one to be above 200 rating. Uh, mm. 204.3, whereas JJ's at 199.1. Um, there are a lot of things that go into that rating, and it's a little confusing. But I do I just, the standard 158. Yeah. It, historically, just like looking at things, more often than not, it does seem like usually the quarterback that has the highest rating is at least a finalist, if not the winner. Um, so somewhat of a telltale sign to a degree. Like last year, Caleb Williams was only actually kind of shockingly low, only like 166 or something like that, 168. They don't have last year's filtered very well for some reason. Um, but anyway, just an interesting stat that I'm going to continue to look at week over week and see kind of how that changes over the next few weeks. Um, but yeah, what else you got? Uh, yeah, I, I, the last thing I think I want to touch on, and it's actually not Utah and Oregon. I, Utah, Oregon. We've talked a lot of Pac-12 recently. As as much as I like Utah and I like what they're doing, and they did take down USC, so you know they're good in my book. Um, I do think that Oregon is a they have the offensive firepower that USC has, but they have a lot better of a defense. Um, and I think they'll be kind of looking for those wins that can kind of replace um, losing in a very close game to Washington. Um, so that's just very, you know, brief summary of what I think is going to happen. Do I think it's going to be a blowout? Absolutely not. I don't think Utah is a team that gets blown out. Um, but I do think that Oregon will go in there and and take care of business and you know and and play a really solid game um, and and look to get themselves back into the kind of the top of the back Pac-12 conversation and the college football playoff conversation. So um, the last thing I just wanted to touch on was it was for the most part for the top teams it was kind of a weird week, you know, you uh, not Utah. Just got done talking about how great Utah played. Um, OU, Texas, Washington, and Florida. I put in Florida State, and yes, they won by 18, um, but they were down 20 to 17 when Riley Leonard for Duke left the game, and Duke ended up not scoring another point. Um, and so I'll kind of put them in there. None of them lost, but they all really seemed to struggle. Um, and I don't know if for Texas and OU, if it was kind of a hangover from their rivalry game, uh, you know, Washington obviously came off a great performance. Um, and then Florida state, I'm really not too concerned about Florida state. Um, I think they just ran into a pretty solid Duke team and kind of had a pretty good battle with them until the very end. Um, I'll be interested just to see, you know, if OU and Texas and Washington can kind of bounce back convincingly this upcoming week. I don't think any of them have like two tough of opponents coming up. 
Um, Quinn Ewers is out for Texas. Um, I think he's going to be out for a couple weeks. Um, I just heard that. I didn't actually see the play. Um, so I'm not sure what's going on there. Um, hopefully, you know, he's okay and, you know, he comes back and everything's good. Um, but it does seem like they'll at least be without him for this week. Um, so, you know, just things to look out for. Um, do I think they're actually going to struggle? You know, no, it was probably just one of those weird weeks that I love to talk about. I do believe that college football just has weird weeks. Um, but yeah, it'll be an interesting thing to see moving forward. Yeah, the only thing I'll comment on there with the, the Texas thing, it's going to be really interesting to see if, as of now, they've said they're probably not going to throw Manning, Arch Manning, out onto the field. Uh, he's currently the third string, so a lot of people think he, you know, maybe that aren't avid watchers of football think he's behind Quinn Ewers, but he's not. Um, but it's going to be real interesting to see if, say, Texas doesn't come out and, you know, do well enough or put up points if he gets some reps and kind of what vibe, what energy that brings. Let's just say they bring him in second half and an old boy is just lighting it up, you know, depending on what the viewer's injury looks like going forward. Is like, okay, is he going to be usurped now? Is, is Manning, I mean, because Manning is going to take the reins at some point. That has been the whole plan of this team, right? He's Arch Manning, the guy that probably has the greatest family of quarterbacks ever the greatest preparation to be a football player um so i don't know it's gonna be an interesting storyline to follow as it's starting to build up now that there's a reality of him playing so yeah uh malik murphy will be in at quarterback yeah yeah um don't really know much about him uh but we're gonna get to see him next week can and you imagine can you imagine being malik murphy and what's going through your head as the entire nation wants to see arch manning on the field the kind of pressure that puts on you. Yeah, well, I mean, first game of the year with Baylor, everybody wanted to see Sawyer Robertson instead of Blake Shapen. There was literally chance going on two drives into the game. And, I mean, that's Baylor. We hardly even sell out the stadium. So um, there's a lot bigger fan base uh, behind Texas. And, yeah, I can imagine the pressure. Um but yeah, we'll we'll just have to see how it plays out. I, you know, Malik, I hope you, you know, get your chance and I hope you take advantage of it. Hope you have a good day. Um, yeah, you're getting your shot right now and uh you know, hope everything goes goes well for your buddy. Um but besides that, Mason, did you have anything else that you wanted to cover? Uh go Rangers. That that is such a great call out. Go Rangers, baby. Houston, sorry to see you go, but, um, you know, maybe not too sorry. Um, yeah, besides that, I think that wraps this week, uh, this week's edition of the Beers and Bixkins College Football Podcast up. Uh, you guys know the drill. You know, like, subscribe, hit all the buttons. We're on YouTube now. Um, if you are an avid listener, shout out. To my dad, notice that you know those episodes didn't quite go out on time last week. It's okay. Um, you know we'll have those. We'll have those out. Um, but gonna, we're we're glad that you guys are listening. Gonna gonna blame Vegas on that one. That's that's where we're going. Yeah, it was, it was Vegas's fault. It's fine. Um, but yeah, hit all the buttons. 
Um, we appreciate all the support, and we will see you guys next week. Peace.